Um, hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Blue Sky Fostering podcast. Um, today, I'm joined by uh, Phil and Michael, who are carers in our Crawley uh, hub. Um, and this has come about because Michael wrote a um, uh, an article in our carers newsletter about his experiences of being a foster carer. And Phil, um, who being Phil being Phil, actually sent an email back saying that he found it really interesting. And um, I'm not going to embarrass you now, Phil, but it said that Michael was somebody that he looked up to in terms of his experiences and stuff like that. And so I thought, well, actually, what would be really good and interesting is to to bring both of you together to kind of talk about fostering I guess really and to, to know more about um, your experiences and, and to kind of share as that you know the three of us really of kind of the different journeys that we've been on and, and hopefully along the way there'll be tips and ideas that have worked for you um, and if not um, it will be something that hopefully those listening will find interesting so so welcome guys thank you for joining us that's okay pleasure um, so I guess if we maybe can start with, with you, Michael, um, would you just be able to introduce yourself to everybody that's, that's listening and tell us a little bit about you and then, and then we'll move on to Phil, please. Oh, oh Lord, what do I say? <laughs> <laughs> Not used to this sort of thing. Um, right, Michael, Michael Radburn. Um, I live near Lingfield um, in, in Surrey. Uh, I live here on my own. Um, so the fostering I have done has been as a, as a single carer. I'm uh, getting on a bit now, so I'm just available for respite care. I uh, gave up fostering full-time probably about five or six years ago. Um, I've more or less retired now as a social worker. I have been working for Surrey Social Services up until the end of December in the Family Contact Service, <clears throat> but they have rearranged things and um, dispensed with my services, so to say, um, although they may... Uh, I think they could be in trouble and they may be looking for uh, people to join back in again. Who knows? Um, I first started fostering about 20 years ago uh, when I took on um, uh, a young chap. He was 11 at the time. Um, and I'd actually known him through some work I did in residential care locally. Um, the place was closing down and uh, they were looking to place the children there and he was the one they couldn't place. So... Uh, I put my hand up and uh, he ended up staying with me for about three and a half years um, till he went to live with his sister. Um, after that, that was for Westminster. So after that, I wasn't that happy with Westminster as an authority. So I looked for a smaller local agency. I found uh, Cornerways, who eventually sort of merged with Blue Sky about a year ago. Um, found them very, very good and have fostered for them um, on and off uh, ever since. When I say on and off, placement would come, would perhaps finish, there'd be a few months gap, and uh, and then I do some more. So in a nutshell, that's uh, that's it, I think. Anything else you need to know? No, no, not at the minute. I've got lots of questions for, for other stuff. But okay. yeah, that's cool. Thank you, Michael. Um, and Phil, Phil, could you do the same, please? <clears throat> well, I'd like to start off. <clears throat> you know, I was a tough fisherman for 35 years. You know, very challenging life. And uh, I'm sitting here now actually quite nervous. And it's because it was sort of, I'm not too bad now, but it's like, what's this going to be all about? I don't know what's going to happen. And i am sort of got this anxiety inside of me, which is unlike me. And I'm thinking, <clears throat> but that's what these kids, anyone that comes into our house, whether a child or, or, or whether it's a parent and baby, you know, they must have this anxiety. So uh, <clears throat> that's just uh, before I start on about myself. I say I was, at, I was at sea for years and years, five children, and had to work really hard to support them with the, with the fishing. And then we saw an advert from Cornerways. It must be 16 years ago. And uh, <clears throat> the manager came round and... I just asked what you can achieve. And she said, well, you can always make a difference. Mm. <clears throat> so we had our first placement and I was still fishing, but I just felt this need. I just felt this need to, with, particularly with a young man we had that he needed someone. He really needed someone. He's, he's, his situation, his environment, everyone else. He didn't need friends. He needed someone else. And 
And I thought I could most probably feel that. So I left the boat there to not to rot until I sold it. <laughs> and uh, I started fostering. And uh, I don't know, it's just... Well, my family is still there, but it's taken a huge, taken over a huge amount with me. And uh, <laughs> you have some terrible challenges at times, but I absolutely love it. And I'm still smiling now. So that can't be bad at nearly seven. <laughs> no, I think that um I think that if to be still be smiling for well for both of you still be smiling after these years of doing it is a, is kind of a testament to like your kind of character and, and, and actually to I'm sure throughout it, it's hard because on things like this, you know, obviously we can't go into specific details of, of, of things because of people's kind of privacy and stuff, but hopefully we'll be able to get like an overview of you know of kind of what it's like and what's worked and I guess I guess for both of you um so Michael before you came into fostering yeah. has social work always been your career uh not always I, I did a few office jobs for a few years um till I was about 21 and then I spent about 10 years driving minicabs so I okay. came into social work <clears throat> I was about 30 or 31 I suppose um working with adults with learning difficulties. And um, from there, after a year and a half there, I went to, to college for two years, um, qualified as a social worker, after which most of the work I've done has been in various forms of residential care. Um, yeah. Adolescent units, secure units, um, special schools, uh, all, all um, therapeutic communities, uh, yeah. a wide range of residential and educational care with uh, mainly teenagers. I think as well, actually, the, the two careers that you, you, you both mentioned, something it's obviously Phil, obviously being on the boats. And I, I don't really know much about it, but I've, I've seen the trawler men shows on TV and I imagine it to be stuff like that, like you're all really grisly men on a, on a boat living, uh, diving over the waves. And then and Michael was sort of saying, like, you know, that you've worked on, on and taxes and, and stuff like that. And I think yeah. it really shows, it shows, isn't it, that there is no, both those, we do a lot of work about, say, you know, people don't know they can foster until they, foster and people sort of say like you know what 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 experience do I need and actually it both just shows there doesn't it that you've come from careers and, and jobs and stuff and obviously then Michael moving to social work but backgrounds of you know in a taxi you're you're you hear everything I'm sure from people do you know what I mean you're picking people yeah. up and they're they're talking at mm -hmm. you in a, either a drunken state or you know yeah. <laughs> they're um you know you, you, you've got you're communicating with people all the time aren't you and then Phil to, to being on the boats and having to have that I don't know, you know, you need a team around you that you can trust, I, I presume. Um, Phil, what, what, what sort of transferable skills then do you think came from, from your career as a, as a fisherman? Well, people used to say to me, how can you do it? <laughs> and I used to think, well, <clears throat> like I said to you the other day, you know, you're rolling about in a gale of wind, you've got a thousand pound German <laughs> torpedo hanging on the back of the boat, which turns out to be live, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they call a fishing boat a hole in the ground where you put all your money. You know, and that happens as well. And <clears throat> you need resilience. And I can remember being at sea and it's terrible. There's no fish about and everything else. And then the, the water might clear and then you get one basket of squids in your hall. And to me, it's like, that's it. They're on the way back now. We're away again. You know what I mean? So... You know, I've always been a half full sort of person. And uh, I think I think it brings you strength. But the thing is, it's whatever you do, you've got to love and you've got to want to give 100%. And I think, like you said there, I mean, I really, really admire Michael. <clears throat> He's a bit more like Jen. Do you know what I mean? And, and a social worker said about oh. Jen, like, she's a safe pair of hands. <clears throat> And they're very, and I think that with Michael, you know, he's like in the meetings, he's, he's, he sort of always knows, and I'm sort of, way, you know. But I, I think Cornaway's really respected us, and, and, and everyone's different personality brings something to the job, which I think is brilliant. Um, I think um, Marcus, Marcus, uh, getting put on the spot now but and talking about yeah. um <laughs> the safe pair of hands um obviously you've got obviously 
excuse me, um, outside of fostering, um, to kind of spin it around onto that at the moment, and we'll come back because I think maybe this ties in. Is um, Michael, you are um, the vice president of Sutton United. Is that um, right? I'm, I'm one of the vice presidents. One of the vice presidents. There's, there's quite a few of us. Um, okay. It's not as grand as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, um, uh, and how how does um how does your sort of outside kind of I say outside interest, isn't it? It's not like very different way of saying it, but how does how do you tie things like that in with the kids that that come to that come to live with you? Yeah, okay. I mean, I've got a wide range of interests. I'm interested in all sorts of sport. I'm. Uh, I used to, for example, I used to play cricket up until I was about oh, sixty or just over sixty. Um, and um, a couple of the the kids I've had with me, I've actually got playing cricket, um, playing cricket with me, or taking them to play. Um, so that's that's one thing. I, I've got an interest in classic cars. I've I've always had a an old car of some sorts um, over the past twenty years or more. So um, again, taking them out in in that, they seem to quite quite like that sort of thing. Um, oh Lord, sports and classic cars and antiques fairs. I've again taken uh, taken uh, kids to antiques fairs and got them buying stuff and uh, give them a bit of money and see what they do with it. Um, yeah, I found it quite easy to blend in the things I'm interested in with um, with looking after kids. I like cooking. I love cooking, and kids on the whole tend to like eating. So um, that's something else that uh, I'm quite adventurous, well, that sort of thing. I think you sort of said it as well. Is it, is it, it's you're sharing interests with, with, yeah. with people, mm-hmm. you? And actually, if, if, if the, the kids that are coming to live with you guys have... Um, you know, sometimes kids have only been shown one thing, so it's right. What, what do you like? Well, I like theme parks and I like Xbox. And actually, what's outside of that? Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? And I think it's creating yeah. those things that you might get that resistance initially to be like, well, well I don't want to go and do that. And actually, the fact that you're paying them positive attention and That's the fact good. that you're engaging them, it, it, it's, I think it's a lot to be said for it, isn't there? Yeah. I've never taken a kid to a theme park, and I've never played Xbox. So, uh, <laughs> and I think that's I think that's a real testament to like, because yeah. I think some people stuff. think, well, I've got I've got nothing in common with with mm. with, that, with this young person. You know, I don't know what to do. Well, actually, you know, but you know, you can. I always sort of say, you can, and I don't mean this in a horrible way. You can if you sell stuff to kids in the right way to be like, look, we're going to go and do this, and I think you know we're going to do it for this reason A, B, and C. You can kind of get them into doing most things because you're, you're spending time with them and you're sharing something with them, aren't you? A, a piece of you. With them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, show some enthusiasm and often that will transfer. And people yeah. Will, I'm sure. Um, so, Phil, Phil what, what, what about um, you then, Phil? What, what, um, what kind of things do you, as, as, the, as the carer in the house, what do you kind of um, share with your young people in terms of, you know, engaging them in stuff that, you know, you do with them? Well, I, I do believe in outdoor sports. And for many of the youngsters, you know, like the first youngster who hadn't really achieved at all, you know, I I got him a bike and I took him out cycling and we did like two or three miles. And then the next day we did four or five miles. And it wasn't long before he was doing like 30 miles off road with the support of his social worker. So we planned the route. He took a phone. But... You know, he came alive and, you know, you you look at each child and what their specific needs are, you know, especially if they have got some sort of level of learning difficulties, you know, and they can really achieve. Because I found that we all need praise, but but we need we need truthful praise. You know, you can't just make Mm. it. Oh, you're the best person in the world. (laughs) You can find something that they can do and achieve and you can like. You know, you get excited about it. You get excited about yourself. So I, I always do that. And along with that comes quite a lot of guidance. You know, they don't wear helmets, they tell me, but they do have to wear helmets, <laughs> you know. And there's lots of safety issues. I mean, the first young man didn't know which brake to put on first. So he, I think once he went over the handlebars, but then I tied a, a red ribbon on the back brake. So you do that one first. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So things like that, you know, and they love it. And and not only that, but you go to uh, you go to their achievements, like our young man that we had to fight for to get uh, to get our place at college one day release. 
and he won a hundred quid award. Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> and we were up there, and it's just like, it's like you won the polls. And then later on, he won a hundred and fifty quid award at, 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 at like proper college, you know, for, for attitude and effort. Yeah. So, uh, you know, get involved with that, sharing their successes, and sort of being there for them when they. Uh, when it's not quite such good times so i think you said it really well as i think i think it's um <clears throat> i think it's about realistic praise isn't it and not just because i think sometimes people might have a tendency to be like, oh you're the best thing ever and, and actually that doesn't really help it needs to be like realistic praise doesn't it it needs to be leveled at them in a way that means something and not just all sort of smoke and mirrors um but i guess if kids have missed out on on things you also you do want to build them up you do want them to feel like that they're special, but it needs to be realistic at the same time, doesn't it? And um, and I wonder. This kind of leads me on to my next question, which I, I'm, I'm and and it's it's something that we I don't maybe think we people maybe don't talk about as much as maybe they should because things aren't like they used to be. So I'm going to talk about being um, uh, uh, a man, but involved in you know fostering and, and stuff like that. And I'll talk about my experiences of working with kids, my old professional life whole professional life and then and then I'll bring it back to you guys if you've got any sort of experiences and stuff like that for what I would say is, is it's not it's definitely not like it was when I, I started working with young people when I was 15 so I was a kid myself I was a football coach um and I started my own business as a football coach and um that was the way that I then worked into being um things like a preschool teacher um I worked in a creche um through to like running holiday clubs for kids um, alongside football coaching and then all the way through to um, uh, working for a, a national gym chain um, and writing their kind of fitness programs for, for, for anything from three-year-olds up to teenagers and stuff. And throughout that time, the younger the kids were that I worked with, the more I got um, questioned by people in terms of being a man working with kids. Um, I was on um, a national radio show once talking about what it was like and you know young people having male role models in their life and, and stuff like that and the attitude back then when I was younger was very different I found to what it was like now it was always I was the only man um that worked in the crash that I worked in um and at times it was a little bit isolating because I saw my friends who had other jobs and they were kind of having that sort of different sort of like friendships and stuff and it's not saying that I didn't get on with the people I worked with because I massively did but there was always something slightly different about being a man back then whereas now it doesn't feel like that um things feel very different in terms of it, it I don't feel like the odd one out anymore <laughs> maybe I do for other reasons but but definitely not because I'm a man and and I'm just interested Michael obviously being a social worker yeah. um is, is that something that you relate to or or was your is your experience of it being different I can understand it I I've never really experienced that sort of thing. And I, I never did um, working with, I, I never worked with very young children. Uh, mm. I tended to be maybe 10, 11 plus teenagers. Yeah. And I never came across that uh, at all. Um, but recently, more than once um, in the last couple of years, I have gone to a, a contact, um, doing family contact work, to have people look at me and say, oh, you're a man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, because of the team of people that were doing this for Surrey, there were about 130 of us all part-timers. I think there are only about three or four men in that team. Mm. So it's more recently. Um, yeah, how interesting. In, in the past, in, in residential <laughs> care and schools and so on, never never an issue, never, never had a comment. But yeah. Nowadays, people somehow expect more to find women doing um, yeah. work than, than men, which is much <laughs> odd. Um, never been an issue in the past. That, that's, that's really good, isn't it? And I think that um, I think that there isn't. We used to do safe care for, for men years ago, but actually now it's it's about well, well, actually it's not safe care for men. It's actually safe care for somebody who, um, for somebody who potentially isn't in the home as much because you're building those relationships with kids when you're potentially not at home all the time. And actually, it's it's safe care for a for a second carer because it, it's not it's not gender specific and and all you do by doing stuff like that is you reinforce prejudices which don't which aren't which don't are completely unnecessary mm -hmm. um and i think what, what what about you phil have you have you had any 
um, positive or negative experiences based on, it feels like quite an archaic thing to be talking about, our gender in terms of providing care for people. But I just thought, well, you know, while I had you both here, it'd be interesting to ask you. So yeah, Phil, have you had any experiences of anything like that or? Well, I think all the time with Cornerways, I think we only had one male carer, one male social worker, mm. who I still remember. Mm. But I was really lucky because our agency, when I, when, when I first joined, they sent me to uh, uh, Bath in London to do the role of the role of men in fostering. Yeah. And I got up there and <clears throat> you know, I was really, I'm, I'm, just an ordinary guy, you know. It was mainly set managers, and there was a few adopters up there. But we've gone great, mm. and it, and it is a really, really important role for men. And if someone tells me that you know what you do is important, then I believe them. Mm. You know that that is it. I've I've always been showing respect. The only difference I have, because <clears throat> we have, you know, mothers and babies or dads and babies. And sometimes I'll have a, well, once we had a baby for quite a long time and a health visitor ring up and I'll say, yeah, okay. And, you know, I'll talk about this and that. So, oh, do you want to pass the phone to your wife? I'm like, no, I don't want to pass the phone to my wife. <laughs> you know, I've been with a, I've fed that baby like every night for the last sort of five months, you know, and I've been to all the, all the, uh, meetings at hospitals and met all these people and and no apart from that but they don't mean it yeah no. they don't mean it yeah. they're just thinking well you know dad's just home from work and that's it yeah so no yeah. i think i think it's a really lovely feeling to be sort of welcome through you i've never seen any of that in fostering at all yeah no no and i would say since i've been involved in fostering i, I haven't it was more it was more the world outside of it i would say i think as well there was um there was yeah. a really great quote and I, I i don't know who it was so i'm plagiarizing them here but it basically was along the lines of men being involved in foster care and it said oh i'll probably get it slightly wrong but if if i it was a, basically a man saying if i take a back seat through fear of doing something wrong as a man the young person that I'm caring for either learns that she is abused by men or ignored yeah. by them. <clears throat> and and actually it's like, well, actually, yeah, you can't just take a back seat and go, well, actually, do you know what? I, I better not. I better just keep myself safe because well, actually what, what do, what do the, what do the young people then learn that, that all men stay away from them and you can't have a positive relationship that doesn't, isn't, you know, an abusive and stuff. Do you know what I mean? And that really resonated with me. And I know any of, when I have done safer care training, I always sort of say, look, you know, it's important that you, through fear of making a mistake or whatever, you don't take a backseat because then, you know, think about how that comes across to the child that, well, I better not go near you in case I do something slightly wrong. Um, and, and, it, and it doesn't absolutely need to be like that like at all. Um, so um, what about, um, so Michael, um, yes. in terms of um, obviously, um, we, we've spoken about being a male carer and stuff, and obviously you guys have both got different perspectives. Um, so Michael, as a single carer, yep. um, what, what are some of the, if we look at both sides, so we started with what, what are some of the challenges of being a single carer? And then we'll flip it and then look at what some of the positives are as well. Hmm. Um, well, I suppose that one of the challenges is it can be fairly full on in that there's no one else to, to share it with. Yeah. So, um, having said that, I've never really had terrible trouble with any of the young people that I've fostered. I don't know why that is, because I know that other people have had trouble with them. But uh, maybe it's just the way I am and the way I present and the, the relaxed way I work. But um, no, it, it, at times it would be nice to uh, say, I'm, I'm going out for two hours. <laughs> um, yeah. Can't really do that if, if you're on your own. So there's, yeah. it's, it can be more intense. Um, but then, of course, you can give more attention to, mm. to the young people as well. So uh, I've always found it's worked, but I've never tried it any other way. Um, so how do you, um, what in terms of then that sort of support yeah. network and stuff like that for when you have got a placement, does that, you know, what, what does that sort of look like and how do, how do you make that work? Oh, right. I know I've got a very good support network. To start with, I've got my neighbours next door. I've lived here 20 years and my neighbours have been here 20 years. So, yeah. uh, um, oh, from time to time when, when I do have um, a child in, in placement, um, then I'll use my neighbours. They'll, they'll pop next door to a neighbour and play with the dog and, watch TV, yeah. the rest of it for, for an hour or two. So I'm, I'm quite used to doing that. Sometimes they'll pick up on 
perhaps a child coming back from school a bit earlier if I'm out. So uh, there's that. I've got a wide circle of friends and family who um, are very good, who uh, have always accepted any uh, young person I've had in my care and uh, done things with them. And we've gone to do's and functions and parties and dinners and God knows what else, sports events with with friends and... uh, I think I think I think the point I was trying to sort of get at, but that's was it's important not to sort of bunker down, isn't it? And, and actually make, you know, use the support network around you. Because I think sometimes yes, people make it well, actually, right, this is me and I'll get on with it. And actually, mm. when you do lean on other people, for, you know, not necessarily lean on them a lot, but use yeah. people around you. You know, it's, it's not it's not a sign of weakness at all, is it? It's actually yeah. a positive thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, have a said well, up until the last nine months, reasonably busy social life. And I would include uh, any young person. Yeah, in that you know. Yeah, um, for example, I mean, you talked about Sutton earlier on. I, I go to all the home games, um, so if there's anybody with me, they'll come along. I usually go to the lunch beforehand. There's usually a, a lunch before the uh, match, um, so I've always taken them to that, where there's usually on a, a table of eight or ten or twelve friends. Yeah, get, get involved. Um, How involved. was Sutton doing this season, Michael? Doing quite well. Um, third in the league with uh, three games in hand. So um, they're not doing badly. How's um, how's COVID affected? Like, Because um, obviously in the conference, uh, the match has been able to carry on. Oh, yes, they've carried on. They yeah. are uh, behind closed doors. Uh, I'm a season yeah. ticket holder, so I just get the, um, the live feed. So I've seen yeah. all the games. Just, just watch them on TV. So yeah. I link, link the laptop up to the television and watch them that way. Saves so you getting cold in the stands. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it can be really cold at this time. Yeah, well, I'm looking out the window now. Somebody said to me, we were, I was talking, they were talking to me earlier on a call. I said, God, I said, there's a puddle outside and I've been watching it get bigger and bigger all day. And it feels like it's summed up 2021. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at this puddle getting bigger. Mm. So I need to block that off. Um, Phil, um, so in terms of you, then obviously it's uh, you and your wife. Um, what are some of the... You know, what's the dynamic like of, of, of fostering with your wife, I guess? Uh, <clears throat> Don't mind, she might listen back to this, Phil. <laughs> well, we've been married 54 years, but we're very different. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I think that brings something to the table as well, because, <clears throat> you know, in certain situations, once we had a we had a dad who didn't really want to listen to me at all. But he got on great with Jen. Mm. <clears throat> and sometimes we had a mum who would fight for England, who was quite happy to sit outside while she was having a fag, and I'd just sit there listening to her for, for you know, for an hour, because she's just about to throw her life away, really. Yeah. So I think I think that that's a that's a plus. <clears throat> that's a plus. And I, and I think, well, Jeff, definitely Jen's, Jen's, Jen's approach might sometimes work better than mine. But, you know, that's life, isn't it? You know, a kid goes to school, there's all different teachers with different styles. And uh, hopefully they learn from both. Yeah, it's about um, trying to sort of, and, and I think that's why, like Michael said, like different kids reacting to different situations. There'll be some kids that react better to single carer and some kids and parents mm-hmm. will react better to, um, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, two carers and stuff. It's, 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 and it's, it's working yeah. out what works best for you as well, isn't it? And I guess the length of time that you have both done it, it's reading those referrals and kind of trying to unpick actually, do you know what, is that is that right? And actually how will that young person fit in with my dynamic? And sometimes saying, no to a young person might seem like an awful thing, but actually sometimes you, you, you've just got to be honest, haven't you? Because um, it's what's best for them, ultimately, because that's what you're doing it for. Um, yeah. Phil, that's just reminded me, um, we were talking the other day about the bright, was it, is it called The Brightest Stars? The Brightness of Stars? The book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it turned up the next day. I forgot that I'd ordered it. Um, <laughs> so basically, me and Phil were talking the other day, um, Phil assistant, um, about a book that he'd read. Phil, could you just tell everybody about the book? Because I think it'd be really interesting for some other people to know about it. <clears throat> well, it, it was written by someone that had been in care, and and she's an author now, and uh, I guess mature. And then after she wrote her story, she she went round and she tried to get the opinions of uh, other people who've been in care. Actually, I just started turning the pages again the other day because the great thing with my memory is I can read a book. And it's just like I've never read it before. Do you know what I mean? The only thing I can really remember about the book is how it makes me feel, you know. 
And it, it just makes me, and like our own kids, actually, you know, it makes you realise how amazing it is that they can actually get through the process. Yeah. And I think as a carer, I've always worried, you know, I don't mean am I doing enough because you give 100%, but, <clears throat> you know, is, is, is fostering, is, are we getting everything right? And I think it's good to reflect on that. And this book gives a lot of information about their journeys. <clears throat> and, and many of them have been, well, in the gutter. And <clears throat> there's just been something that uh, is a catalyst for change. And many of them have gone on to, uh, to really, really high levels, owning big companies and everything else. And it's, I don't know, you, I just read it and you, you start to sort of, without realising, you know, you are changing your practice. That's the way I feel anyway. Yeah, I've got, I've got the book. It affects me. Um, yeah, The Brightness of Stars. So it's, just, it's stories of adults who have come through the care system by Lisa Cherry. Um, and we'll, we'll, I'll put the link um, in the description underneath for anybody who's listening to this. Because at the moment, I'm doing a piece of work with um, all our social work students on what we do for kids when they're getting towards that big, you know, scary age of like independence. Because obviously that's something that, you know, I moved out when I was... 23 24 I didn't move out at 18 I didn't move, I didn't move to a flat to live by myself and had to kind of get up to speed with everything and I think what happens is, is I think uh, you know young people are asked to learn these skills that developmentally you know they might be 18 but developmentally wise uh, are not because of you know the trauma that's gone on in their in their early life and and actually Michael to bring to bring it um, yeah. to bring you in and to ask you is yeah. Have you got much experience of sort of um, caring for older young people that are moving towards independence and stuff like that? Um, let me think. Um, I'm just trying to think of the ages of most of those I've looked after. It's tended to be sort of between 11 and about 15 or 16. Um, yeah. There's one <clears throat> I've done respite care for, for one lad um, since he was 10 and he is now just 18 um yeah. and i believe he it was actually last weekend he was he was planning on moving on from his um right. long-term foster care as they were settling him in at the weekend and one of the calls i want to make this week is to find out how things are going there um but but on the whole i've, I've not looked after them sort of quite up to that age of um mm-hmm. now it's time to move on like yourself um ed i was i was about 22 before i left home yeah, 23. And um, then I went to share a house with a friend of mine who, who bought a house and I uh, rented a room there. So, yes, it was an easier process uh, in those days. Um, I don't know how I'd have been if someone said, you're 18, there's your uh, there's your front door key. There it is. Good luck. Yeah. Um, does happen sometimes. Um, used to happen more in the past. I hope the process is better now. Yeah. So obviously with the law changing in terms of staying put and stuff like that, yes. and kids yes. being able to stay in yeah. care until they've you know left the education system i think it does help but i think that um i think like you said phil actually there's some of those stories in the books about people that have gone on to um run successful businesses and stuff like that and i do you know somebody along the way has played a really important role in giving that kid the drive and the focus to find a passion haven't they i, did, I worked with um one of the there's one of the managers here at work uh, a woman called leela um there's an earlier episode of one of our podcasts and she um she was in care and her foster carer um at the time said um I will find the song that's in your heart um she's like well I don't know what it is and I don't know what my passion is and her yeah. carer worked so hard to find that thing mm. um and, and and it was actually singing um but it was that finding that passion that kind of you know pushes them because yeah. if you, if, you, if no one's helped you turn that key how do you know absolutely let it flourish if you can find it yes. Is that something that you guys, have, uh, Phil and, and Michael, is it something that, you know, finding what, you know, what the kids are passionate about? I guess actually, Phil, actually, you're, you're a young man at the moment, being older, um, and the support that you've given him with college and stuff. Um, how did you sort of unlock that with him? Well, my training <clears throat> helps me not to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And... Uh, you care so much about these youngsters that you've just got to like, I mean, I can't believe it because when I was 18, I suppose I had quite a big ego and you've got to sort of try and get rid of that, you know, chaos sort of face-to-face confrontation and that sort of thing that sometimes happens in families. But 
I can't believe that even the last few days, it's like there's a key to unlock the door. And it's really emotional, you know, and you think they are stars, aren't they? They're just like that book, The Brightness of Stars. And you've just got to hang about and wait for that. <clears throat> I mean, the first book I ever read was given by the the social worker that was uh, helping us get through <clears throat> panel. And it was uh, Vera Falberg, A Journey Through Placement. But you see, there you are. Once again, I've said that and I've got the worst memory in the world. But on page 247, it said, we most need love when we least deserve it. <clears throat> and... Uh, I'm not a saint, so, so it's really difficult <clears throat> to live up to that statement. But I do try as hard as I can. And uh, also in the book, it was about the journey through placement is, is leaving, <clears throat> leaving the care system. And it's critical for them to have someone. Some children have got nothing left, you know, support-wise. And you can make an amazing difference. And those people bring a lot to your life as well. You know, <clears throat> I had a, a letter came through the other day. Thank you for still being our guardian angels. And you're like, this isn't from someone that, you know, hasn't really got that much of an education. And you think, like, it's emotional intelligence, isn't it? That, like, they've got bucketfuls of that often. So... I'm waffling on. I digress. <laughs> You're not, Phil. No, as I think there's been, there's been a couple of instances when I've had um, one of the kids that I used to work with contacted me and just, you know, shared with me what was going on with his life now. And I was like, you don't have to do that. Like, he doesn't need, you know what I mean? And asking me how I was, like, just after I had my youngest son. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. Like, and it's that emotional intelligence. Be like, actually, I do care about how other people are getting on. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and it made me realise that, no matter how long a young person is with you, you play some role in their life. Do you know what I mean? In, yes, in, 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 in some way. Yeah. Can I tell a, a quick story? A yeah. film I've heard this before, but um, some friends of mine used to, to foster um, year, years ago. Um, and one of the girls they fostered was a very troubled young, young lady, and she ended up setting fire to their house, well, to her bedroom in their house, um, and they, they gave up fostering at that point. And she was only with them for a couple of weeks. And, and Tina said to me that some years afterwards, probably six, seven years afterwards, she was in Dorking Town. And she, there was a young woman walking along the road and looked at her. And she looked at and, and she came across and said, you're Tina, aren't you? Yeah. She said, I am. And the name of whoever it was, who was with her just for the two weeks before setting fire to a bedroom. She said, I just wanted to thank you for what you did for me. This was after a gap of what seven years, and yeah, you've been there two weeks, and yet she sought her out and thanked her for what she'd done. It was important, yeah, it was a, a sobering story, really. Yeah, so however long or short they are with you, you are you are, you are having an effect, you're making a difference. Bill, something you said about was worrying about getting everything right. I would say stop worrying about it because you won't. Um, <laughs> Of us get everything right, so just learn from getting things wrong. I think is, is important, and you won't get it right for the young people you're with, and they will see you getting things wrong, and it doesn't matter. Good sake, don't think you can get everything right because you can't. I think, um, actually, I think young people seeing vulnerabilities as well, I think, is really important in them. Yeah. Um, you know, when people sort of say, Oh, you know, well, you know, you mustn't argue in front of a kid. And obviously there's a difference between screaming and bawling at each other and, and having a, uh, a discussion and a debate. I think that's one of the things I think is really important, is, is kind of missing for, for all kids now these days, is the ability to, like, debate things with other people. The internet and, and online has really polarised people's opinions on everything. You're either, you know, it's not that, you know, if we use, I'm not going to go on about America, but if you talk about, so like Brexit, right, and I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but... If you voted leave, then, you know, online or whatever, you are this person and there is no board, you know, there's no there's no kind of variance. You, you know, you eat this, you do this. And if you voted leave, you, you're, this, you're this type of person. And actually, life isn't like that. You can have one view on something that's different to something else. But actually, it's really polarising our society. Mm. And and I think that we really need to try and teach our kids, like, 
this skill to like debate things with people. And that's very hard when your whole life is online. Absolutely. Debate intelligently and, mm -hmm. and constructively and, and think. You know, it's very easy to, to get into one camp or another, especially, uh, I suppose, on social media and stay mm -hmm. there. Well, there's a whole world out there and social media isn't it. No. Well, just seeing at the moment all the, the, the flare up to, um, you know, I'm not, not turning this into a political thing, but, you know, with Donald Trump being taken off of Twitter and stuff like that. And actually, it's like there is more stuff out there. Like, it's not the end of the world. Um, and the, actually, BBC were like, well, actually, we, we can't bring you up to date with his opinion on what's going on because um, well, he's, he's, not, he's not on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, neither am I. And, yeah, um, yeah, precisely. Yeah. But it, it's that like it, it's that it's that instant knee-jerk reaction to stuff. And actually, yes. sometimes to actually reflect. And I was listening. There was something the other day talking about. Um, I mean, this is again completely memory. Abraham Lincoln, when he used to write letters back to people about stuff, he would put it under his pillow and literally sleep on it, and then not send it till the next day. And and I think maybe we need to teach kids a little bit of that. Like, yes. actually, you know what? Don't send that right now. Yeah. Just take your time. But when we live in a, you know, and particularly if you've got young people who have grown up in environments or, you know, or are in environments where they, you know, are feeling low and self-esteem is low and stuff like that, actually to get those positive comments or to actually get any kind of comment on something you said can fill you up with that, you know, the endorphins. But, hey, do you know what? Yeah. Someone's talking to me. And we've, as carers and those that work with kids, I think I've got to try and fill that gap in with them to give them those positive things to kind of work on focus on and you know whatever that is and you guys as carers obviously play the most important role in that i think yeah instant anger it's no good for anybody is it no yeah. um, can i just oh, yes Bill. so go on please do <clears throat> it's just a little thing about listening is that we did training once and we had to sit with a social worker and we had to describe for five minutes our last holiday now, Jen cottoned on straight away and thought, this is a setup. I'm not doing it. But, <laughs> but I, I always do as I'm told. And I had to sit for five minutes talking to her. She was a lovely social worker, looking at her nails, yawning, <laughs> looking the other way. And actually, I'm only the second person that they've ever found that actually made him feel quite ill. <laughs> This is truthful. <clears throat> and I thought that's quite a good example of how kids feel if you don't listen to them. Yeah. You know, yeah. they might not want to go and throw up, but, you know, it's, it's serious stuff. So little gems like that I love, I love to remember. You've got to listen to them. Yeah. There's nothing worse, and I'm sure you might have seen it, Phil, doing with parent and child and stuff, is that, you know, when a mum or a dad is feeding a baby and, you know, they're on the phone at the same time. Um, it, it absolutely breaks my heart to see a kid. I was going to say sat in a coffee shop. I'd love to. I'd give anything to go and be able to go and have a coffee at the moment. But, but when you see people in the sh in a coffee shop and the parent, you know, a child is sat there and the family are they're all engulfed in their own world, yeah. and it's not actually. And actually, what attention that gives to the kid is just you know, when we, particularly when you talk about attachment and brain development, you know, you know, what, you know from. I know from feeding my own kids when they're looking up and they're looking up at you gazing me like dad are you there and and you know it's, it's just that eye contact is, is something that you will never ever ever get back ever no. if you don't do it then it's gone forever in terms of that connection with your baby um yeah. and I think that we've, we've got to teach our kids those skills even if they you know even if they're not coming to us as a parent and child placement we've got to teach them those communication skills I think yeah absolutely I was in a couple of years ago I was in a hospital uh a&E, minor, minor injuries, and I had to wait for about an hour and a half for something. And a woman came in with a child who must have been about eight or nine. Uh, I don't know which one was seeking attention. But as she walked in, she was talking on her phone, and she sat down with this child beside her. And for an hour and a half, she talked on her phone. And every now and again, this kid would try to get her attention, and she'd say, I'm talking, shut up. And she only got up once. It was to go outside and have a cigarette, where she carried on talking on the phone. And I just thought, what a sad situation, this poor kid. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to talk to his mum. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's down to those people that are around children to kind of show them, not to lecture them, but to show them the way to actually look. Do you know what? When when we have dinner, this is what we do. You know, and obviously in some situations, it, there's a form of escapism as well. And I I massive I promote like my you know even my own my own children my my eldest and 
goes I work with say look yeah absolutely you know sitting and playing or going and playing a video game by yourself is that can be that nice escapism but actually when it's something together mm. talking about it and doing it together and being in the moment together because you know we've got a show role model for kids what is right so that you know it kind of helps them to for when they have children um in the future yes. i think yes when um, um yeah sometimes when uh, again not in the last year but i quite like having friends and or family around for for meals on a sunday now and again um and any, any child i've got in placement the expectation is we're, we're all going to sit around the table and, and have three courses and chat and all the rest of it. Yeah. You will join us. You don't have to sit here for four hours like we do. <laughs> but I always say, um, that, you know, eat a course with us, ask to leave the table, and I'll say yes, but be polite, ask, and then you can come back for the next course. But uh, And that's always worked. Yeah. Um, which is good, but it's good for, for kids to sit around the table and listen to adults talking. It's how I learned one of the ways I learned about life. Yeah, they was listening to adults talking. And, yeah, uh, I think <clears throat> I think role modelling is sometimes the most important thing you can do. And yeah. I uh, generally, Jen sort of cooks a dinner, <clears throat> and I do the kitchen. You know, and when I say I do the kitchen, I do the kitchen. You know, and <laughs> like <clears throat> on my hands and knees and do the floor. It's not a big kitchen, so I'm not an. Yeah. You know, it's not that much, but you know, much I do it. Now, Phil. Pun? They've got mops with handles now. You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. But anyway, we've got this young girl. She must have been about 12, I think. <clears throat> and she came and said, what are you doing, Phil? I said, I'm doing my thank you job. Mm. She said, what do you mean your thank you job? I said, well, Jen's cooking the, cook the dinner, so I do the kitchen as a thank you to her. And the next day she come in, she said, oh, you're doing your thank you job again, Phil. <laughs> and you think, you know, like the mums and babies, but not the babies, but, you know, the mums and, and the dads that come, you know, I think they can learn a lot about sharing tasks and and not making tasks like that a drudgery. You know, if I'm going to kids do the kitchen, I enjoy it, you know. So I think that sort of, uh, that helps quite a lot, I think. Yeah. Hmm, um, yeah. so so from that then what would you say that your kind of i was going to say your your biggest success story and that that, that maybe do that is probably doing an injustice to the, the the small things that happen on a daily basis when you're a carer but is there anything that is kind of that you guys would like to share to everybody that's like your kind of like moment that you've gone i've made a real difference there um or you know you've played a really important role is there anything, anything that kind of leaps out at you both Oh, I'll tell you one thing. It wasn't when I was fostering, but it was when I was working in um, an adolescent, a residential home for adolescents. And there was a girl there. She was 16 and she got a job and she'd been in this job for a little while. And she came back one day in tears and said, um, the boss had just said to her, your job's finished. So tough luck. I don't want to see you tomorrow. And uh, I said, well, you can't actually do that. I forget what the, the law was at the time. But anyway, I, I followed this up. And in fact, he, he had to give her something like two months pay or whatever it was. And, and that sorted out. And she said to me afterwards, she said, that's the first time that anybody has ever fought for me. And she said, and I'm amazed that anybody would, would be bothered to do it. And, and thank you so much for that. So there's, there's one thing. <laughs> I think as well, I think like you just said, actually, you fought for me. Um, yeah. And I think it's been a lot. I think I think when carers are going through panel um, and in the assessment process, and if ever I come into contact with them and I do some of the pre-panel trainings, I always say you are there to advocate for that kid. Like you yeah. need to be there as much as you would for your yeah. own child. Is to, you are to shouting in that corner. You are the cheerleader. Yeah. You are you are the teacher. You are the advocate. You are there to represent them in the way that they kind of you know maybe can't articulate at the moment. Um, because then it shows that, doesn't it? You know, and actually to actually hear the thank you, I'm sure was a, quite a big moment. Yeah, but I, I, all the children that have been placed with me, I've, I've done quite a lot of fighting, often particularly in, in terms of education. You know, yeah. fed up with the number of times that uh, phone calls saying, you know, come and collect them. And uh, sometimes I say yes, and sometimes I say no. <laughs> <laughs> Used to do it. Um, yeah. 
but uh, you, you have to. It, it's often a fight for, particularly in education. And I've, I've, yeah. done, back, I've done a lot of that with a, one of several of the young people I've looked after. I've had to have those fights, getting them from one school <clears> to <throat> another or into college early or whatever it is. Yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to fight the corner. You've got to be a good corner mm. man. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah. Um, and what, what about you, Phil? What's kind of your and Jen's kind of, you know, headlong success if you were to pull one of the things out from sure the many well sometimes they're the smallest mm. <clears throat> and and one would be we had a young boy i don't know what he was 12 maybe he hadn't quite gone to senior school and uh they wanted uh carers i mean we we couldn't offer long-term caring because of their age but <clears throat> we had him i think we had him for about two or three months while they were looking for a a long-term placement and he had a he had a bowel problem because of you know his environment at home so the school were brilliant they would you know they would sort him out and clean him up and everything else but this impacted on his life he couldn't go swimming when everyone else went swimming yeah. <clears throat> and he, he came to us and uh, Jen got a brilliant like routine for him and that that sort of helped greatly. And I <clears throat> I put a pair of my swimming trunks underneath his swimming trunks. And I, you know, we he went to the loo first and I took him down the swimming baths and uh, he didn't want to go on the slide first before he was too frightened of it. <clears throat> and then the next minute he's on it and he's, you know, the joy a parent figure gets watching that kid coming down, screaming with joy. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I'd sort of try to teach him swimming. And he was going across. Well, you know, he must have swallowed half the pool. But he got across. And I had to go away. I'd already booked up a, a long ride that I used to do before we got him. <clears throat> and Jen... Jen got him into swimming classes and, and he swimming classes and he and he got his first certificate. Oh. And you think that sort of totally changed his life. Yeah. Mm. But uh, the school, you know, people inspire me. The school was just amazing. Just I don't mean ordinary teachers, but teachers doing that level of support. And also when we was over there, it wasn't long after, maybe four or five days <clears throat> after he'd been with us. And he got a sports day. And I, I went over to watch him. You know, it was over Brighton. And he was looking around all the time. You know, when the kids look around, yeah. someone's watching me. Yeah. And he like big smile about a foot across his face. So, you know, that then they never leave you those. They never leave you those moments. That's um, I think that, that's incredible. <coughs> oh, excuse me, that's incredibly touching, isn't it? And actually, and I know as a kid, when I was looking around and you catch your parents there, and actually if you've you know, they were, they were always there uh, at mine and it's something, you know, always there for my kids, stuff like that. But actually it, that greater impact is if somebody hasn't been there or has been late or whatever. And I'm not saying that they have been, but they haven't been actually to then have somebody that's there for you, this, this new person that's in your life as a carer to then be there. It must be so like, oh, God, actually, someone does give a damn about me, like someone is here for me. Um, so. And then to move from that, then obviously, as the experience like carers you are and the different pasts you've had and stuff like that. If there's anybody listening to this who is potentially not a foster carer yet, if they're thinking about it or if they're new carers, what would kind of be your your advice for them um, based on the, the your your experiences, um, what what you've done right, what you've done, what you've done wrong? Yeah. What would be your kind of advice for them as a new carer? Either of you. Hmm. All right, I'll, I'll I'll dive in first. Um, I'd, I'd say go for it if you if you've got room, physical room in your house and an emotional room in your life, um, go for it. Um, have a have a sense of humour. Be calm and optimistic about what you do. Be determined in what you do. Don't get involved in. If I give one tip, I've never ever ever had a confrontation about food. I won't do it. I, I think it's important not to do that. And yet I've seen so many people arguing with young people about food and you can't this, you can't that, and it's too late for this, and too late. particularly in residential care, I suppose, not foster care. But never, never have arguments about food. 
um, keep a sense of humor about you and remain calm and, and you'll get there. There you go. That's it. <laughs> Thanks. Mark. I, I actually, I think that's a really good point. I've not actually heard somebody say it like that before, but if you've it's, got physical room and emotional room, yes, for it, then yeah, because it, those two things are important. It's not just the fact of, Oh, I've got a spare room. Yeah. Um, it's much, 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 much more complicated than that, isn't it? So actually emotionally, yeah. have you got the space for um, potentially a traumatized young person who needs yeah. you? at that level of capability to support them. I mean, yeah. I think as well with food as well, as I think food is such a, we, we run, we've got a course upcoming later in this year on um, uh, how food can play a role in like the attachment and like in attachment theory for young people and, and actually the emotional uh, relationship with food and actually, yeah, get, not getting into an argument about it. Yeah, it's turn into such a negative thing. It's basic. It's nurturing. It's mm-hmm. it, it, it's so important emotionally that it's just mm-hmm. not something to get into an argument with. No. Um, if they no. won't eat it, they won't eat it. They won't starve yeah. to death. That's for sure. And uh, <laughs> if yeah. you know, if it if it helps to give them a, a sandwich at eleven o'clock at night to help them get to sleep, it, you know, none of this sort of oh, you rules say you can't eat after eight, yeah. which I've heard but, people saying. Yeah, okay. I, no, won't won't do it. Can't can't get involved in that. Um, and Phil, Phil, what about you? What would what would yours and um, well, as I say, yours and Jen's, but not, not that you speak for Jen. But what would be your kind of advice for somebody who's new to the fostering world? Don't expect, don't expect too much back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really, really important. <clears throat> you don't give to receive. Yeah. You know, because we've, I mean, if we. If we worked on that premise, we would have been disappointed and out of it years ago. Mm. It's important to know how much support is out there. You know, the training and everything else. And be yourself. You know, it's great. You know, you've got, you know, Jen's her style, I'm my style. And like I said, we we all bring something to the table. So... You know, just be honest, be yourself. But you've got to make a commitment. <clears throat> you know, we had five children. and I dare say I thought I knew it all. <laughs> but when you're a foster carer, you know, it's a complete, it is a different ball game. You know, and you've got to, you need the training. You need, you need this and that. And I know Michael's right when he said, <clears throat> you know, you won't always get it right. And if you don't get it right, apologise. But but the thing is, be yourself. And uh, that's it, yeah, be yourself. Bring your big heart and and get on with it. And you say, Phil, that you don't do it to expect things back, but things come back anyway in time, don't they? I think. Yeah, you're right. Like I say, that little car be out the other day. Yeah. And we've got, <clears throat> I suppose if I was ever having a bad day, especially in the early years, you know, I'd get some of these cards out, you know, from, you know, a mum and dad who, like I say, would fight for England, <clears throat> you know, and you read these words and you think you can't solve their lives problems, you know, but you can make a difference. Yeah. And these people, just by articulating that to you in a, in a lovely card, you know, that's good for them as well as for us. I think you both just kind of hit everything by all the nails on the head then is is that, you know, you don't, it's like, excuse me, not taking everything personally um, and actually not giving to receive, but actually the long-term stuff, it's it's holding on to those little moments. And then sometimes you get the big moments like a a letter or a card and stuff like that to say, thank you for the role that has been played in, um, you know, in their life. Because that's ultimately what it is it's the role that you've played in their life it's you know it's it's much more than definitely not a job it's much 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 more than that and um i feel really lucky that um to be a, a small part in that and to be able to work with guys like yourselves um yeah I, and, and yeah and that's kind of how i wanted to finish really is i just wanted to say like thank you for taking the time to, to talk to me um i can't actually believe what the time is we talked for an hour um but I, yeah i just wanted to say thank you for like giving up your time i found it really really interesting um to know more about uh about you both and the things that kind of um 
push your buttons and you know keep you going and i hope that people who listen to this if you're carers with blue sky or whatever and you you know you think that actually you can relate to it then you know please let us know and if you're not um you know like both the guys have just said you know take that plunge if you've got um you know emotional and physical room for it and i hope that you know in whatever in whatever context you're listening to this i hope you take something from it so yeah thanks ever, thanks again ever so much um phil and michael for, for giving well, that's a pleasure pleasure and um can i yeah. just say one word of course <clears throat> if you get praise from your social workers or anyone else don't be embarrassed it's vital because it means you're on the right road there we go we'll take yeah. that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks guys okay thanks ed bye Cheers. Cheers.